I kind of think that when we use this word evangelism, it, it kicks off all sorts of stuff inside us. Some of us love the idea of, of going out on the streets and at random praying for people, but for most of us, that, that scares us. And, and some of us have, have tried to do stuff, like talk to people, and we've not, we've not felt we were any good at it. And so it, it kicks off all sorts of emotions inside of us. And you know, it's not meant to be like that. It's meant to be from an overflow of who we are in Christ. But I think the problem is that if you've been around church for any length of time, it's not that you don't know what to do. It's that you've been trained in so many ways and talked about it so many different ways that you now are just totally confused and frozen. And so my aim in in talking about this over the next few weeks isn't to say that any one way is right or I don't like what they do, or I do like what they do, or anything like that. Every uh, different approach works for different types of people. And, but I do believe that, that God is starting to really move in this nation, and he's starting to really move in this church. And when God moves, that is a sign that we need to move to. And we need to start seeing church as more than just these four walls where we come on a Sunday and get on with our life the rest of the week. That sort of Christianity isn't what we gave our lives for. But it may be what we've settled for. And because of that, that may be why we feel unsettled inside sometimes. That... that, that, our, our walk with Christ has become something that we isolate down to Sunday in a midweek group. And there seems this disjoin between what our lives and what's involved in our lives and the busyness of it the rest of the week and what happens on a Sunday morning or a Tuesday night. And so I want to I try and speak into that with hopefully a little bit of wisdom, but also to help us make a shift in the way we see things. There's this word that we use, and it's, it's the word... Have any of you come across this word, paradigm? And, and people talk about something called a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift is basically a change in the way you see things. It's, it's about the, a change in your understanding that enables you to see reality in a different way. Reality hasn't changed. It's just that you are then able to see it in a different way. So over these few weeks, I'm hoping and believing that we're going to have a paradigm shift in the way we see what God calls us to in reaching others. Does that make sense? Okay. Now, the way I'm going to do this is I'm going to... uh, basically teach in detail through one passage, which is a passage in Luke chapter 10. So for the rest of the series, we're going to spend most of our time in that passage and go through it really slowly. Now, before we do that, I just want to look at something that's in 2 Corinthians. So if you find Luke chapter 10 in your Bibles, 
Put a thumb in there and then find 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul does something. So it's, the letter to the Corinthians is written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is a man who hated Christians who had them persecuted, who killed Christians. And then he had an encounter with Jesus that turned his life totally around. And that turning around made him into a different person. He was born again. He became a child of God. And he had a paradigm shift. He saw everything a different way. He saw reality a different way. He saw it as it should be seen. And, and so he's writing this letter and he, and he, he says something which is both, in some ways, when we, we, we sometimes quote this verse and find it really discouraging. Um, because it seems to set off on a negative. And he says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they won't see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, the aim of God and the aim of us as believers is for people to see the light. Have you ever heard that phrase? They saw the light. Well, that's where it comes from. But it's not sort of just like some weird thing. It's see the light. And he specifically tells us what that light is. He says it's the gospel of the glory of Christ. Now, I'll come back to that phrase in a minute because we can just go, oh, well, that's just about people getting saved. You know, Jesus died for their sins, and if they repent of their sins and give their life to Christ, they'll be saved. Well, that's an element of it. But the gospel of the glory of Christ is much bigger than that. It's the total victory that Christ won on the cross to bring the kingdom into this world, to, to carry on what he started and make it possible for us to do that when Jesus, when Jesus came, he said, I brought the kingdom. Heaven is invading earth. Heaven is come. So wherever I am, I'm going to see the manifestation of heaven. And when it says, when, when it says that, that, what the enemy, the devil, doesn't want is for anybody to see the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven because he wants a manifestation of the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of hell. So he's trying to stop the world seeing that. The full manifestation of the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Didn't Jesus tell us to pray that? On earth as it is in heaven. And, and what it says here is that the way he's done that is to blind minds. Blind the minds of unbelievers. You're not blind because you're a believer, hopefully. But blind the minds of unbelievers. Now, it's about the minds, but when it says that word minds, what it means is not like how your brain functions. It means... Intellect, it means perceptions. So your perception, the, for, for those who haven't seen it, their perceptions and understanding and intellect won't let them get there. Because that word blinded, when it uses that word blinded, it doesn't mean like can't see at all. You know, this isn't a done deal that, that nobody can make that transition. It doesn't mean that nobody can move from blinded to seeing. Because that word blind, it doesn't mean totally blind. What it means is oh, it's been obscured. You know, like, it, it's there, 
you know it's there, but you can't get a handle on it. And Jesus is saying, uh, Paul's saying, that's the state of an unbeliever. They know there's stuff there, that, that not, but it just doesn't fit together. It's all obscure and fractured and, and doesn't fit together for them because that's what the, the enemy's done. Now, the question is, how does that, um, how does that obscuring get turned around? Yeah, because that's how you become, move from unbeliever to believer. How does that obscuring get turned around? So I'm going to just make some statements that, 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 that follow through on what Paul says after he's made this statement. But I'm going to start with this principle. And the first principle is this, that, and if you agree with me, you can cheer at this point, the kingdom is way bigger than anything the enemy has. Amen? The kingdom is just way bigger than the enemy. And we often forget that because that's what the enemy wants us to do. He wants us to forget that the kingdom is actually a lot stronger than what we see out there. And he, get, he tries to get our eyes off the kingdom and onto the problems. And, and he tries to say it's just too difficult. But the kingdom is way bigger than the, anything the enemy has. And, and Paul starts to go on and say this uh, as, a, as a response to this. So when we get down to verse 6... He, start, he says this, God who said light shall shine out of darkness. So basically he's, he's taking his back right to the start of things and he's saying, hey guys, do you remember that God, that, that one we, we follow? Didn't he make light shine out of nothing? Yeah. So guys, don't you think if he can do that, he can do anything? This is not an insoluble problem that people's eyes have obscured, that, that they can't get a handle on it. Because God can make light shine out of darkness. Like light out of nothing. The problem here is they're just not quite seeing how the light works. So that's the smaller problem. So if God can make light shine out of darkness, he can make the bigger stuff work. And so the God who said light shine out of darkness is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So just just try and, and get, get you. you, you understanding like that. So he says, God has shone, just like he made light shining darkness, he's shone in our hearts, so he's put light into our hearts, he's given is it as a gift. So where is it? Where is it now? It's in here. So he's saying, we, let, the starting point of understanding how all this changes, this, this obscuring, this blinding of the unbelievers so we can reach them, is the understanding that light is in us. We carry that light and therefore we understand and we have the knowledge of the glory of the gospel of Christ. We have the knowledge of the kingdom. We carry the kingdom within us. So we're like Jesus said, I have come and I brought the kingdom with me on earth as it shall be in heaven. We carry that on earth as it shall be in heaven in us. We carry that light in us. And the primary thing the enemy is trying to do is to distract us from opening the eyes of people to the gospel of the kingdom. And, and in a way, we've collaborated in that a little bit because somehow we've taken this incredible concept of the kingdom of God invading lives, changing lives with overwhelming power, and we've made it about judgment 
and getting on our knees and repenting to get a ticket to heaven one day. We, we've taken that incredible concept and we've made it small. And because of that, our, our, our attempts to reach people have been handicapped because we're not presenting or utilising the kingdom within us and presenting to them the fullness of the kingdom. We're presenting to them something partial and something that, quite honestly, at times, is not very attractive. But the kingdom is incredibly attractive. How many of you would like, right here, right now, on earth as it is in heaven? Yeah, no sickness, no pain, no oppression, no, no bondage, just total freedom and, and, and the ability to walk in the power of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus is saying. And the enemy is trying to distract us from that. And Paul is saying that's what you carry inside. And he goes on in, in verse 7 and he says this, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Sometimes we hear that word uh, jars of clay, it's translated that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. Now, what's he saying? How many of you have seen those films like, uh, you know, like the adventure films like Indiana Jones and stuff like that? And National Treasure with Nicolas Cage, those sort of films, yeah? Where there's all this big mystery and you've got to find the treasure at the end and, and there's always some bad guys trying to get it, yeah? Have you noticed that, that all the time in those sort of films... The, 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 the key secret gets found in a tatty little box or a jar or a pot buried in some tomb in Brazil. Have you noticed that? And it, it's a rubbish pot, isn't it? Or it's, a, it, it's like there's all this gold all over the place, but actually the secret's in this little tatty box that is in, hidden in the corner of the gold room. That's the concept that Paul is talking about. He's saying... And, and, and we, some, we get really sidetracked about this and we sort of minister all about how we're jars of clay and we're all vulnerable and we're broken and, and all that stuff. It's not, it's, the, the point is not the pot. The point isn't the jar. The point is what it contains. Paul's saying that the, 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 the immensity and the glory of the kingdom, you're always going to look like a broken pot in comparison. Because... What you contain and who you have been made to be is the kingdom carried in you. So he's saying that this, this light of the glory of the gospel of Christ is a superior reality that you carry, a superior reality to what we see around us. And because it's a superior reality, we've got the ability to see things change. We are change agents. We are change characters. We are life changers. And, and he says that the way this works is the excellency of the power of God. Now, let me explain that to you. That word power is a Greek word you might come across called dynamis. And it means might. It means ability. It means uh, miraculous power and strength to bring about what it was given for. I like to think of it like this, that, that that word power is the ability of the kingdom to overwhelm the inferior reality of the enemy's kingdom. So we are given the power to overwhelm with the power of the kingdom the inferior reality of the enemy's kingdom, the inferior reality of this world. And that's the paradigm shift 
we need to make that we operate from a superior reality. Because that word that, that's translated excellence, if you just go back to, to the verse, that word translated excellency means supereminence. I don't know what supereminence is, but it sounds good, doesn't it? It means exceeding, it means over and above. So, how do we get this out of us? How, how, how does what's in us and what we carry manifest to overwhelm that inferior reality that is around us? And Paul goes on to verse 18, and I don't think I put it on the slide, but he, he says this. He says, I believed, having the same spirit of faith, according to what he's written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak. So the kingdom that we carry, that glory of, and, and might and the ability to overwhelm the kingdom of the enemy is released by us believing and speaking what we believe. Um, we looked at it a few weeks ago in terms of testimonies when we saw quite a number of uh, healings that morning on the basis of repeats of the testimonies that we were giving. And John 6, 63, Jesus says, my words are spirit and they are life. And so we carry the spirit of God and when we speak, we release spirit. Because we have the same spirit in us that Jesus had, the Holy Spirit. So when we speak, we release spirit. That spirit affects the atmosphere and brings the kingdom of God into manifestation. Do, do you understand that? We're not, we're not dealing with ordinary things here. We're dealing with, you know, like I, I keep saying, deep and wide. Guys, this is a deep one this morning. Okay, so it's going to set us up. Because we need to understand how people make that transition from outside the kingdom into the kingdom. Otherwise, we'll be applying the wrong tools and getting no results. Yeah? Uh, if there's anybody, could, if you sat near the door, could you open that door as wide as it'll go? Because it's quite hot. Um, so, you, so you're with me? Okay, so I'm going to summarize this because in that, in that idea shows how we need to shift to see ourselves as operating from a superior reality called the kingdom in order to bring about a change in this world. And so to summarize, the blinding that the enemy's trying to do to people's minds, he, he's, he's trying to stop them seeing as a bigger kingdom than where they, they are. He's trying to get them focused on just the rubbish of their lives so they can't get to him. And the way he does that is he works on the church. And he convinces the church that the darkness is progressing. And he tries to keep us ignorant of the superior ability of the kingdom. Now, I guess, and I've heard this hundreds of times, hundreds of times in the last few weeks, and you go, and people will go, you know, we've been to several conferences, and they'll say, where do you come from? And we'll go to, we'll say, we come from Cambridge. Oh, that must be hard ground. All those intellectual people, centre of atheism. And we, we all sit here in church, and we go, Cambridge is hard ground. Cambridge is hard ground. Oh, dear. That's the enemy trying to convince us that his kingdom's progressing. And as long as we think Cambridge is hard ground, it will be hard ground. 
Because we are not seeing the superior ability of the kingdom of God to overwhelm that kingdom of darkness that we are saying is hard ground. And, 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 and as a result of that, Jesus, if we can make that transition, Jesus can actually save many more people through us than he's been able to do so far. Because it relies on God, not us, to bring people into the kingdom. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. And so therefore, our tactic of trying to argue people into the kingdom and talk about all the beliefs of atheism or evolution or Darwinism or whatever, all we are doing is playing on enemy ground and it doesn't actually bring about the kingdom. Because we're not arguing with the enemy, we are overwhelming the enemy because we introduce the kingdom, which is a different reality and a superior reality. So that superior reality doesn't work by arguing about the inferior. It brings by us introducing it. Are, are you with me? Now, that's, that, I, I know that's a really deep concept, but the point of all this is we are not on hard ground. All we've done is forgot who we are and forgot how the kingdom works. And if we start seeing that actually the kingdom is way bigger than anything the enemy has, we can then have faith to see people brought into the kingdom. Because this operates by us believing and speaking. Speaking on its own is no good. We've got to believe it. And the way we believe it is to know that the kingdom is much bigger. It's a, it's a reality that overwhelms the darkness. Are you, are you with me? Okay, that's the deep bit finished. So I'm going to go on to the easier bit now. I want you to go to Luke chapter 10, which is the, where we're going to camp for a few weeks. I don't know how many weeks. Depends how long it takes us. And I'm just going to read you verses 1 to 11. So what we're talking about here is... People come into the kingdom as we release the kingdom. Not as we persuade people. And, and I want you to see what Jesus does here over, the, over these next few weeks. Because we'll see that the way that people come into the kingdom doesn't necessarily fit with what we've been doing all these years. Maybe some of us have been doing this, maybe some of us haven't. But when we realize that we're operating from a kingdom perspective, we do things differently. That's the shift. Yeah? Okay, so I'm going to read you Luke uh, chapter 10. We're going to... Um, there's actually a number of instances uh, in both Luke and Matthew, which we'll, we'll touch on briefly, where Jesus sends out groups of people to reach people, to evangelize in our language, or to... to, to go and encounter people and, and, and what he's doing is he's training the disciples and, and, and bigger groups of people and he's training them how to take the kingdom and reach people and see people come into the kingdom. Yeah, Because Jesus is about making disciples. So in each of these instances we see a pattern. 
And what's really surprised me when I, I started looking at it, is, and, and this came out of a frustration that I was having, which is, we need to see a lot more than we've seen. You know, we, we're not shooting the lights out on this yet. And, and, and so we need to unravel what's blocking that, what's stopping that. And so, and when I started to look at this, it's not that, that any method or way of doing things, you know, treasure hunting, healing on the street, friendship evangelism, attractional church, all those, you, you can build a case for from Scripture. Okay? You, you can. And, and I'm not invalidating any of those. All I'm saying is um, there's an understanding we haven't got because we're not in revival. We're not seeing masses come into the kingdom. And therefore, when I find myself in that sort of place where I'm not seeing the results that I expect, I go back to the basics. So I'm going right back and I'm saying, okay, how did Jesus train his disciples to go? Because I, I, after that, everything else is just aspects of that pattern. They're components, maybe, and we need to know where they fit in. Do, do, do you see what I mean? So I've gone back to the basics, and, and Jesus sends his disciples, or there's one way he sends out a group of 70 and a group of 72, and, and, and he tells them, he gives them instructions. And, and some of you will be familiar with these instructions. This is Luke chapter 10. So have you, have you got what I'm doing? We're looking for the pattern. We're looking for what Jesus is saying here, and we're going to work through it really slowly so we can understand the steps of what he was telling the disciples to do. And I'm working on this outrageous assumption that if he told the disciples to do this and it worked for them, it'll work for us. Okay? So, I mean, that might seem crazy. You know, we live in different times, but this is Jesus. And what do we know? Red words win. So these are red words. If you don't know, some versions of the Bible have all Jesus' words in red. And if you want to know, like you want to interpret any other bit of the Bible, you go to what Jesus said about it first and interpret from there. That's why red words win. Whenever there's a discussion, red words win. So here we go. Now after this, no, after these things, the Lord, it's not on there. So I haven't got to verse 1 or 2, so just. The Lord appointed 70 others. So this is the sending of the 70. So it's one of the, 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 the sendings. And he sent them in twos before he went into the city and place where himself was going to go. So he's sending them ahead of him, the groundbreakers. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no uh, money, uh, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. In other words, don't get distracted, guys. Keep your mind on what you're doing. Whatever house you enter, first pray or say, peace be on this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it'll return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the labour is worthy of his wages, and don't move on from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what's set before you, and then heal those in it who are sick, 
And tell them and preach to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Whatever city you enter and they don't receive you, go out of it into its streets and say, even the dust of the city that clings to our feet, we wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that still the kingdom of God has come near you. Okay, so that's Jesus' instructions when he sends out 70 people. He'd, he'd sent out a couple of, ex, you know, goes before that, he'd sent out two, the disciples twice. Now he sends 70, in the other place he sends 72. So, what's this all about? I'm just going to probably get through verses 1 to 3 this morning. That seems about far enough. So let's, let's have a look at, go back and look at verses 1 and 2. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest is tru- truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay. Now, one of the things that I found about the word of God is that it's very precise. And the reason it's very precise is that they didn't have books and printing presses in those days. They had scrolls and tablets. So these things were heavy to carry around. So they didn't waste words. That means we have to look carefully at every word that's used and not put in words there that aren't used. Now, why do I say that? I say that because we read this verse, and I've heard it preached lots and lots of times, in a completely different way to what it actually says. And I'm going to show you why that is. Okay? And it, and it plays into this idea that we are on hard ground. And, it, and the way it's been taught reinforces that we're on hard ground. That there's, there's a harvest out there, but we're puny, there's not many laborers, so God, send us some evangelists. Send us some people who can make headway in this darkness. And I've heard that preached over and over again. And then we have a big prayer meeting and we pray, God, raise up the evangelists. God, raise up the, raise up the preachers. Raise, send us more laborers, God. Okay? That's defeatist. We need to understand that the destiny of the kingdom and the destiny of the government and Christ is that it is increased with our end. We are not short of resource. We need to understand that the kingdom wins. And Jesus is saying, I want to reorientate your understanding, disciples, because you're looking at this, you're looking at this city that is under Roman dominion, in the grip of, of religion under the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and people can't get to me. And I need to reorientate you that this isn't hopeless. So I'm going to give you some reality checks, and then I'm going to tell you how to win. Okay, that's what he's doing. I'm going to give you some reality checks, and then I'm going to tell you how to win. And he's going to say three facts here, and he's going to give them two things that will show them how to win. So fact number one. So say, say that with me. Fact. Fact. Number one. The harvest is great. Okay, you've just said it. I didn't say it. You said, well, I said it as well. But you said it. The harvest is great. Fact. Fact. In this city, the harvest is great. In this region, the harvest is great. Fact. 
We don't see it, admittedly. Because we don't see the fact. We've convinced ourselves, and the enemy has convinced us, that it's darkness, and the darkness is progressing, and this is hard ground. Reality, fact, the harvest is great out there. There is a huge harvest out there for this church to take. For you to take. If you believe otherwise, you're contradicting Christ. He said, and, and you can go, God, you're off your trolley. You don't know the people I work with. You don't know what the university's like. You don't know what this city's like. Send me anywhere except Cambridge, God. Send me back to Preston. Even Preston with its rain is better than Cambridge. You know, I've had these conversations with God. I, I like it. Suddenly you start, you look at it, you go, oh, it's so difficult. I need, I, need, I need some rain. I need to go back to the northwest. And it's not any different. People in the northwest are going, it's hard here. Dark satanic mills. <laughs> Fact, the harvest is plentiful. Yes. There's a whole harvest there that hasn't been brought in. Now, how can Jesus say something like that and we reach the opposite conclusion? Because, honestly, don't we, right at this moment, despite the fact what I've said, just inside you, ask yourself, do I think there is a massive harvest out there waiting to be taken? Waiting to be brought in. Do I think it's there? Really, honestly, is that my experience? For most of us, it isn't. Some of us have got our mind around it, but for most of it, it isn't. But that doesn't change fact the harvest is plentiful. Now, what, what's Jesus doing? Well, Jesus has looked at things differently. He doesn't have to go through this paradigm shift that we've been through because he, he was never in our problem. And what he's seen is he looks at the heart of men and he looks at the reality of the two kingdoms and he says, my kingdom's going to overwhelm this kingdom of darkness, therefore the harvest is plentiful. It can't be anything else. He's looking through that lens of his kingdom reality and he's saying, I know that if we apply the power of the kingdom here, the harvest is plentiful because it can't not be. Do you understand what he's saying? He, he's looking at things differently from us. He's not saying there aren't any problems. He's saying, I've had a look, and I know if we can get rid of this obscuring, that the kingdom is going to overwhelm the darkness, and there's a massive harvest out there. So if we think kingdom instead of natural, we see the harvest. Are you with me? So what stops us as doing that? There's all sorts of reasons. One of the reasons is that, A, we're not taught this. Because we don't come from a kingdom perspective. We come from a defeatist perspective. Everything's, how many times do you hear, everything's just getting worse. Jesus must be coming back soon. Yeah? Well, one of the signs of Jesus coming back is that whole nations come and celebrate his return because all nations have turned to the gospel. There is a falling away, but there is also a rising up of a glorious church. There's also a fact of whole nations turning to Christ. And I'm believing England and Scotland, for all its faults, and Wales and Ireland are those nations. They're in that nation that come into the kingdom, not the enemy's kingdom. Because there's more kingdoms come in before Christ at the end than are left out. But the problem is, we see and we look at, oh, everything's getting worse. 
Why? Why is it getting worse? Because we haven't understood the kingdom. We are the ones that make it better. Nobody's going to make it better except us. Are you, are you with me? This is good news. You should be excited. Nobody's going to make this better except us. And we have the ability to make it better. So what do we do in church? What are we spending all our lives doing? We're spending all our lives looking at ourselves, looking at our mess, looking at our limitations, and spending all our focus on our jar of clay. And make my jar of clay a bit nicer. And, and, and we'll exhaust ourselves on ministry to each other, making our jar of clay a bit tidier, and never seeing what is in that jar of clay that has the power to transform everything. Our value, our worth, our purpose, our joy in life comes from seeing the kingdom manifest. And yet, what we're trying to do is fix ourselves. Well, our jar of clay is a jar of clay on purpose. Because it's not about us, it's about him. Yeah. And his excellency and his power. We have no power except the kingdom that we carry. So, in a sense, we, we, part of this shift we need to make is, is away from this focus that it's about what was my experience on Sunday morning. Did I have a good service or not? Did I like the worship songs or not? Did, did the ministry time fulfill my problem that happened last Wednesday? You know, we need to move away from that because that is a distraction of the enemy that needs to be defeated, not submitted to. And we can no longer submit the church to the detractions of the enemy. It's not that we don't care. It's that the solution is in a different place. The solution is in the power of the kingdom being released in us rather than the jar of clay being ministered to. You with me? Okay. So that's fact number one. And Jesus is, is trying, in this, he's trying to do the same thing with the disciples. He's trying to reorientate them away from them seeing the problem to them seeing the harvest. Because they were seeing the problem. They're going, how can we possibly make any impact? And Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful. Fact. Now, fact number two. Fact number two is this. The laborers are few. So fact number one, harvest is plentiful. Fact number two, the laborers are few. Does that sound like good news? Does it? Okay, you need to make a paradigm shift. That's good news. That tells us that the size of the harvest is way bigger than what we see in here. There is a bigger harvest out there than the numbers that are already in here. That's good news. Jesus is saying, fact number two, compared to the size of the harvest out there, I haven't got that many at the moment. Do you, do you understand? He's saying... It's not about the number of laborers. It's about the size of the harvest. There's, there's more souls to come into the kingdom, many multiple more souls to come into the kingdom than are sat on seats in here. Jesus says, fact number two, laborers are few. In other words, you haven't seen anything yet. The kingdom is coming. And the harvest is huge. So just get your head round, you're few. Because you need to see the bigger. How many people, how many of you here want to see thousands and thousands come into the kingdom in this city? 
Right, so Jesus is telling you, if, you can get, if we can get our heads around this and act on it, that's the size of the harvest. It's not about, oh, poo, a little old us. Well, because that gets us into this weird mentality. If only we were a bigger church, we could do more. And we could run more programs, and we could put on better services, and, and more people, get more people in. And if we got more people in, perhaps some of them would believe. That's called a tractional church. You spend all your money trying to get people to come to the church. And when they come to the church, you have the hope that they hear the gospel and get changed. So you have to keep going better and better and better and better and better. And then you have to outdo the nightclub and then you have to do every, outdo every other attraction because then they'll come to church and then they might hear the gospel and then they might get saved. Attractional church. Does it work? Yes, it does. Does it work on the scale of the harvest is plentiful? No, it doesn't. And so... Jesus says that the point here is the harvest isn't in the church. It's in the city. It's in the marketplace. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the school. It's in the university. That's where the harvest is. So Jesus sends people out of the church, and we've spent two or three decades trying to get people to come to church. Well, society's changed. People don't come to church on a Sunday anymore as a norm. So we have to keep doing more and more to try and get fewer and fewer people through our doors. And Jesus is saying, Jesus had the same problem. They all went to the synagogue. Nobody wanted to listen to them. So what did they have to do? They had to go out of the church. It had to be part of their life 24-7, not just Sunday morning and Tuesday night life group. They had to think kingdom. So, labor's a few. Now, what's God's solution to this? Okay, this is what he does. He does not say, pray for more laborers. That's what I've heard taught so many times. Let's call the laborers in. He doesn't say that. That's not, can you have the verse uh, two back up? It's not what he says. He says, pray the Lord of the harvest, the one who's in charge of bringing the harvest in, is God. God's in charge of the harvest. The laborers are few. Therefore, what are we asking God to do? We're asking him to send the few into the harvest. Send the laborers into the harvest. The laborers already exist. They're small compared to the size of the harvest. So we should be praying to send the laborers. Not going, I'm not a laborer, let's pray some in. Can you see it's very different? We are the laborers whether we like it or not, and we're small compared to the size of this harvest that's going to come into the kingdom. And, and Jesus is said, I want to do a work on your hearts, guys, so I'm reorientating you now. That I want to change your hearts so you go into the harvest. Because you realize that the kingdom is bigger than anything you'll face, and there's a harvest going to come in. Now, isn't that much more exciting than doing church? Still, we still meet. We, we still do all this because we want to celebrate. We want to get together. We're a family and we want to learn. We want to be equipped. We want to grow. But if it stops there, we never go. And, and God's try, Jesus is trying to give his disciples the same thing. His disciples, every time Jesus ever did anything, they wanted to build a tent and stay there. They wanted to stick where they were. And Jesus keeps having to give them a good kicking and say, get out. We're not building 
an organization here, guys. What we're building is kingdom. And God's in charge of the harvest, so I want you to pray that he'll do a work on your hearts so you'll go, that he'll send you. We'll, we'll be a sending culture, that we have this idea that we meet here on a Sunday morning and the rest of the week we're sent into the world to bring in the harvest. So it really matters what we do out there as well as what we do in here. Our focus then is what's out there as well as the greatness or whether we enjoyed the meeting here or not or whatever. They've all got different purposes, but they're all part of one whole. Being full of the Holy Spirit, all part of that whole. Okay. So we get on to verse 3. Again, not really encouraging where you read it. Go. Go on your way. So he's sending them. Behold, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves. Hmm. Who likes that verse? Any, anybody what like that verse? Anybody get excited by that verse? Okay, we've got, we've got two very brave guys about to be eaten. <laughs> Who like the concept of being amongst wolves. Okay, so you read that verse and you've got like, it's one of those ones where you just go, oh, come on, Jesus. Sheep, wolves, wolves eat sheep. Yeah? Not when the shepherd's there, they don't. Wolves don't eat sheep when the shepherd's there. I will be with you always to the end of the age. Go to understand what Jesus is doing here. He's not sugarcoating it, and he's not watering down, and he's saying, guys, the reality you see out there is a world full of wolves. A world full of predators who are ready to pull you down, persecute you, and argue against you, and make fun of you. And that's what you see out there. You see a world full of wolves. And Jesus is saying, I know. But kingdom reality is bigger than that reality, and I'm going to tell you how to change some wolves into sheep. Because those wolves out there are the harvest, and they're going to be sheep pretty soon, and pretty soon we're going to have a lot more sheep than we've got wolves. That's what he's saying. Do you, do you see that? He's not, and we go, oh, I don't want to go amongst wolves. Well, I would love to go amongst wolves if I knew that they were going to be sheep because I'd gone there. And Jesus, he said, listen, guys, I'm going to show you how to win. I'm going to show you how to win in a world of predators that are coming against the kingdom. Because the problem we've had so far is you haven't recognized that there's a harvest amongst all those wolves because you haven't recognized the kingdom is bigger than the power of the wolves and the shepherd is bigger, big enough to take care of the sheep. So don't give me the, um, I can't manage or it's all terrible out there or oh, there's no hope and everybody's nasty and oh, we're going amongst wolves, we're going to be savage. No, Jesus is saying, you ain't going to be savage because I'm going with you and I'm bigger than that and the kingdom that you carry is bigger than that. You look like a sheep, but those wolves are going to be looking like you pretty soon because the harvest is big. Yeah. You get it? Yeah. This is good stuff. This is optimistic stuff. This is the reality of the kingdom invading earth. This is the reality of the gospel. This is the reality that in the first 300 years after Jesus meant that all the known world became Christian. What would it be like now if all the known world became Christians? Seven billion Christians, big harvest. What would it look like in the UK? 
60 odd million people, Christians. Big harvest. That's the scale of what the early church achieved. How did they do it? Because they knew that the kingdom was bigger than the wolves and that wolves were about to become sheep. So that's what Jesus is doing. Because what Jesus is about to go on to is he's about to go on to the strategy of how you make wolves into sheep. Because that's, that, that's how you bring the harvest in. You make wolves into sheep. People who don't know Jesus, don't know God, are hostile towards God. When they know God, they're not hostile towards God they've, because they've stopped being wolves and they've become sheep. So we need a strategy for those wolves becoming sheep. And the strategy is the kingdom coming. The kingdom being near you. The kingdom shaping the reality around us. And he's going to show us how to do that. So we're going to, going to start looking at that next week. Now, I said that what this takes is a work on our hearts. And he's going to, I, I, I'll say it to you now, he's going to be working on your hearts for the next few weeks. Because he's got to get us from this idea that we can't do it to the idea that we are laborers that are going. Because yeah. there ain't any more laborers, but there's a big harvest. Yeah. 